Welcome inside the coaches room, the number one podcast for football coaches that want to develop. We talk to elite coaches and backroom staff to talk about their experiences, how they develop and how they develop their players. This podcast is brought to you by Football Webinars. Football Webinars wants to support you to become a better coach. If you want to support us, then become a member so we can keep inviting elite coaches to inspire you. I think for anyone, especially a young coach, if you can enter that phases of their journey, then it's to understand the environment they're going into, is to research as much as they can. Okay. Whether, whether they're going into a youth coaching role, a first team role, a local role, it doesn't matter. Treat every role the same. If your communication and your people skills are not at the, at the foremost of what you do, then you know you could have you could have the best tactical knowledge in the world. If you can't convey that to your players, then you know it's, it, it doesn't matter how good you are. In this episode, we talked to David Webb. His last role was head of operations at Huddersfield Town and previously he worked as a sporting director at Östersund in Sweden. Before that, he worked at Tottenham Hotspur, Bournemouth, Southampton and Crystal Palace, amongst other clubs. So you can say he is an experienced guy in the football industry. We talked to him about knowing the club that you work for, knowing the players that you work with and how Pochettino and Eddie Howe influenced him in his daily work. If you like this episode, make sure to subscribe to our podcast to get a new episode every week or share this on your social media to share it with your network. Enjoy this episode with David Webb. I think you are one of the most all-rounded guys we have so far. Going from uh, academy coach to recruiting specialist to being a sports director. We never, yeah, we had sport directors. We had academy coaches, never recruitment specialists. So interesting to hear this point of view as well. So, uh, yeah, I'm pretty interested to hear what your, what your story and your experiences are. Great. And, um, you have been in a lot of offices, a lot of elite offices, um, great clubs you've worked for. What, what is the most important item that was in all those offices yeah really good question um i suppose the most important thing to me was always a picture of um, my daughter and my family um that kind of whichever office i was in you know i had the you know good fortune of working in the offices but it was at tottenham and you know i just feel where i could oversee the you know the pitches and most yeah. players trained very good but that that the picture always to me reminded me of my safe place. Okay. Um, keeps me grounded, keeps me um, focused on what I'm, you know, what I'm actually doing this for. Um, obviously for myself and to try and bring success to the club. And but yeah, for me, you know, that that just makes me feel happy that I'm actually doing the job that I'm doing, and it keeps me in a in a good place. Yeah. Okay. Great. Great. So not. A laptop or or for example a scouting uh, formula or form or uh, uh, 
or whatever no the the, the picture of of your family yeah i mean in offices it's always good to have the essentials like your laptop your tv and you know maybe a tactics board and other essential stuff and they're all very good tools to have but that would be my tool that i can transfer to each office yeah. Well. So. yeah great okay you said and this keeps me reminded of the things or the reason that i'm doing this mm. for your environment or maybe for your close ones as well well is is that the reason of course you, you love football that's why you started but yeah what's the connection with let's say your family and the purpose that you have in football i think if you're i think all the time that as we're in like an elite environment in football at the highest levels when you have perspective from yourself and from your family to know that you've got good people around you, um, it can be sometimes very stressful. It can be sometimes very demanding of your time. Yeah. So when you have that support and when you have that people that really care about and people that you can lean on and, you know, chat to and, you know, that they're sacrificing their own selves to, you know, to allow me to pursue my career um, at stages. So it just, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for that. So, and that keeps me, that keeps me sort of very grounded, very humble and, and very focused because yeah, I'm just, I'm without that, it, you know, without that, it'd be, you know, it'd be, the job would be a, a lot harder to do. I think I'm starting to, to understand. So the stress, yeah, it's a stressful job uh, in football, whether it's fun or not, it's always pressure. Always. Yeah. And, always. and when you come home, your daughter, your daughter doesn't care if you win or lose or if the signing is paying off or not, they, they don't, they just want to hug. That's kind of what you mean. I think with this story as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's an interesting one with the family because uh, I think sometimes it's, um, especially from the kids perspective, you, like you say, they don't care if you win or lose, we've had a bad day. They're in their own little world. And sometimes, you know, even I try and take that into my working environment to really yeah. one that comes in, you know, it, I, I see it like a like a little movie. So um, everyone's, you know, I'm playing a part when I go to work. I'm playing a part in everyone's movie. You know, they got their own focuses, their own targets, their own aspiration and dreams and stuff they need to do for the day. And we're just sort of passing through for all that. So you have to be aware of that. And the same with family as well, especially when you come home to your kids. You know. And, all they care about, maybe if you have little ones, is you know about you playing with them. Like say a hug, spending time, reading, watching something, and you're again, you know, you're playing a role in their world. They don't care whether you've lost a game three 0 in the game three 0 whether you've had a good day, bad day. It's it's irrelevant, and I try and keep that in my head. You know, when I'm when I'm dealing with this, and it just gives me a little bit more perspective. Um, and I've probably learned to evolve into that, especially over the last six, seven years, you know, finding a way of keeping, keeping, keeping calm and focused and um, keeping it realistic. Do you think we should, should get results and that pressure more out of the equation in football? Yeah, I think in any elite environment, you're always going to have the pressure. Um, that that's that wherever you wherever your team is wherever you're looking to achieve you've always got pressure you have to win games that's that's um that's a given you know there's never gonna that's that's the life of football it's never gonna change no matter what country you're in um but i think there's a way of the way that you can manage yourself in that environment especially during stressful times if you're maybe in a relegation or transfer you're challenging for for stuff. You just want to develop. Like whatever your environment is, you're going to face some pressure periods. 
And I think if you can enter those pressure periods of being as calm as you can and being good with yourself and keeping stuff around you good, i.e. like a good family, then the less stress you've got outside your life, the more focused and the better performance you can bring to your to your working environment as well. So it's, it's important, I think, to it's worked for me anyway to keep to keep that side uh, those relationships from the closest yeah. people good, and that enables me to you know deliver on a higher level into my roles. Yeah. So the let's say the picture helped you, well, keeping that stress out of your system, maybe. Yeah. Is there a way that you? try to keep out the stress out of the system that the, with the coaches that you worked with or players that you worked with that you no matter what happened on Sunday on Monday there was a way that you approached them that yeah that they wouldn't be too well they didn't feel too much pressure at that point yeah. that you had a kind of way of interacting with them that, that took it away yeah and I think it's, it's just keeping things realistic you know in football you're going to win you're going to lose it's um, that's a fact there's never no guarantee of you winning every week or losing every week. So I think as you keep things realistic, then you can approach these situations like with coaches, with players after the results, whether it's a good result, a bad result, a result that should have gone our way. There was some injustice, whatever the situation is. I think if you keep, keep it realistic um, and try and keep the focus on, 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 on what you're looking to achieve and, and, you know, try to get, especially um, in a sports director role, the coaches and the players and the staff to stay, to try and keep focused and stay calm and realise that it's over a long period of time that you're going to lose games. You're going to win games. You obviously want to win more than you lose. That's a fact. But um, you have to keep going and keep, keep, keep being focused and to try and stay and and just be realistic with expectations that that is a fact. You're going to lose, you're going to win. Yeah. 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 It's interesting how, we all know that this is the process to go and we've we all try to do our maximum effort during the week yeah but then there's this thing in football that that you can do everything right but still not win the game or still doesn't go your way yeah and you have to you have to think okay this is not my part that i can influence it's it's, it's out of my out of my circle of influence yeah and that's the bit it's that's, that's always key. I think if you can get into those sort of mindsets early, then, you know, when it's, when it is a setback or it is a bad loss or there was some injustice in, you know, the preparation, the work, the game, the training, whatever it was that, you know, that, you know, it's not a long-term effect. It's a, it's a short-term effect. It's realistic. It's life. You know, life doesn't always go the way we want. And, you know, we have to keep going again because tomorrow's a new day and yeah. we just have to go again and, and refocus but it's also good to, I think, to allow people to have that emotion out of their system as well. So if it is an injustice, if it is a loss, if it is something, then they can get that stuff out of their system, re-energize, refocus, and go again. So it doesn't, you know, I'm a big believer, it doesn't linger on too much. Oh, so when did you start realizing that this is a major key? Because if I look back at my coaching career, and I can imagine a lot of young coaches and you when you're starting out as well, you think, well, at least you have the feeling that you can control everything. Because all your technical decisions or your choices, who you put in the pitch, those are the best things. But at one point, you're going to realize, yeah, I'm can, I can only bring them so far, and then it's up to them and also the opponent and whatever happens. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I suppose that came with, you know, I first started coaching um, in 2002, so it's 20 years ago um, with, with an academy and, um, and working with sort of various age groups. You, you get to learn through experience because sometimes when I first started, I used to feel this big pressure even though it was a development environment and that was the thing, there was still probably in pressure in terms of sometimes maybe the results or sometimes, you know, there was a lot of pressure on myself to to perform, to make sure I'm doing the best by the players, to make sure I'm doing the best by the club. And if we lost games or the game didn't go well, then, you know, personally, I'd take it very, very hard. Yeah. And it used to take me a long time to recover. So, like, mentally. Um, and... And over time, you know, I learned to slowly reduce that, like the recovery time. Um, I did a master's in sports psychology to understand psychology, and I felt that was a vital ingredient to be at elite level, not, yeah. not only for the players and the, the club, but for myself. Um, so once I once I got more educated and a little bit more experienced and um, and also undertaking different roles was good as well because yeah, it, it gives you gives you a learning experience when you how you analyze how you recruit how you're looking at people how you're looking at players and I think that was my ultimate objective over my career was to try and be good in a number of um, subjects like recruitment and coaching and 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 psychology and performance was a big one for me as well so if i could get a real good understanding of those three at this level then i thought that might you know, hold me very well in my yeah. fu- in my future it kind of all comes together in your well, in your last roles as a sporting director where you have to know coaching you have to know players you yes. have to know football but you also have to know psychology and recruitment so everything is, is kind of in it's almost logical that you ended up there but yeah yeah, and and it does it, it does help, and I think you know when you when you when you have got that little bit more experience and when you have got that that acquired knowledge um, of learning those areas over a long period of time, it does give you uh, you know an assurance and a confidence you know that you've that you've earned that right to learn all that over a number of years. So when you're coming into these situations, especially in a sporting director situation, um, when it comes to rec- you know, setting up departments, working with ownership on philosophies, working yeah. with coaches every day, working with different people from the medical science, analytics, the ladies team, recruitment. When you're working with all these specialists in from different areas, it does give you a um, a broad understanding of of the, of the subjects you're learning because that's essentially part of the role. Recruitment is a very high aspect of it. Yeah. You know the market. You have to know the club. You have to know how to negotiate when it comes to that time. You have to know how to recruit into that environment, not only players but the right staff and people. So all these, all these, all these areas that I learned when I was younger, um, growing up um, through the industry, I think that's um, you know, and I'm still learning now. You know, I'm still learning now. I'd never stop yeah. learning. It's um, still got loads to go. Yeah, I remember. What part of that psychology study that that really, yeah, well, that really helped you in that early part of your career? Because at one point you thought, okay, I need to add this to my skill set. That's yeah. also interesting because you've been on the pitch, you've been in the environment, and at one point you think, okay, this is not enough. I need to know more about 
humans or I need to know more about social interaction, whatever. Yeah, I, I kind of, uh, ever since I was young, I kind of always had an interest in sort of people and different cultures, um, you know, an interest in travel and l like just a real interest from, you know, different parts of Europe and different parts of the world. So, um, you know, I was fortunate enough in some of my roles to travel to some really interesting places. So I, I think once you've got a, for me or once i've once i had an understanding of maybe you know some different cultures and seeing how different um people operate in their countries and i think in terms of adaptability when you're when you're recruiting for first team level it gives you an idea if a player comes from so if i was recruiting at tottenham for example when they're coming into the premier league i've got an idea of the culture in france germany ireland portugal you know south america I'm not an expert in them but i i can understand some of the things that you know, maybe we'll help them transition into 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 our environment better. So having that real understanding of that, because I think that's part of the key. That's part of the key, that part of that process, because obviously the player's got the talent, they're good enough to be here, they've earned the right on their football ability, which is all very good. But if I enable them to continue that ability in the upward trajectory, then you have to make sure that, um, you know, you know as much about them, so they're, so they're valued as professionals if they're valued as professionals then you're going to get more out of them on the pitch. Yeah, i understand yeah just just for the listeners you your your last job was at huddersfield but pre, before that you worked in sweden yes uh, i did some work in germany at leverkusen yes i'm correct it was also sofia um i don't know the portuguese club actually which you worked for but uh and uh, a lot of clubs in england so you've been around the european football clubs or market industry whatever yes. you call yes. it and it helped you <clears throat> especially maybe in that elite recruitment phase that you were talking to players okay i can kind of relate where you're coming from i i've i'm not saying i'm an expert but i've i've spent some time in your environment so i i kind of know what what your background is what got me thinking is every coach has this at his at his own level you you of course at an elite level when there's money involved and when there's maybe also a little bit of a sales part because maybe, maybe yeah. there are different clubs and yeah, fighting maybe around that one player or whatever. But as a coach, you have this in a different different perspective. You have your 15 players who all come from a, from a different background. Maybe it's the same city, but one of them lives in the suburbs and one of them live, lives in uptown, whatever. Yeah. Rich, rich, dead, poor, whatever, how you want to call it. You also have to know who you're working with and what their background is, or maybe they are immigrants, whatever. Yeah. And, and it helps and it really, and it really does help. Um, because collectively you're all training together every day, you know, you're all doing the same training. You want to, you know, in get a, you know, a good collective feel from the team spirit and a unity. Um, but, you're not going to get that unless you understand the individuals you're working with. You yeah. can't you can't expect them to work with a team and say this is the platform to work with a team if you don't know if you don't know what's behind the people or at least have a good understanding um, to where we are because there's situations where you, if you're asking them to commit to a to a philosophy, a project, a style of play, uh, then you know the more you know about them, the more that they know you know about them. Yeah. You know, the more they will do in, in return you know it's a very for me it's a very simple it's a nice detail that the more they know that you know about them so 
if they feel that you have invested in them. Yes. And that's all, well, from your sporting director's role, it's more, even more important because you can be there like this high up manager who walks around the club maybe once every day. But yes. if they feel that you are connected to, let's say, the physiotherapist, the first team yes. stuff, but also the cleaning guy and the people yes. from the restaurant, then they feel this is something that we're going to, we're going to fight for the same goal. Everyone, yeah. And this is, and this is the most important thing. I think it's, um, you know, sometimes where it's, it's sometimes missed in elite football that everyone that plays a role in the club, like you say, to the cleaning lady, to the chefs, to the cooks, maybe someone on the gate as you come in in the morning. Yeah. You know, everyone associated with the club, if you can know a little bit about someone, you know, a little bit about them each day, maybe they have a family, maybe they have an interest, maybe they have something that, you know, you want them to feel that you know about them a little bit. It's like anything. Everyone will feel a bit more special if they think, oh, he actually knows that about me. That's quite good. They don't expect it sometimes. And it's a good thing. And I think then then all them little bits make make the club feel a bit more together. Connected. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. connected. And everyone can talk to each other you know, and have a conversation and no one feels there's no click. So the players can talk to anyone, you know, they don't have to just talk to each other. They can talk to the chef, the cleaning lady, you know, someone, the secretary, someone in a different department, you know, and still have a normal conversation. With them. Yeah. yeah. Was there a routine or a way that you tried to, to, to do that every day or you had like yeah. a, like a yeah. circle that you walked, whatever, but I don't know, yeah. was it, was it a way that you tried to, to create this? Yeah, I think so. I think so. When I was at Huddersfield, I had a you know had a nice big office. I overlooked the training ground. You know, it's very nice to maybe sometimes get too comfortable and sit in there. But yeah, okay. you know, you've you've got everything there. You've got a big TV. You've got a laptop. You know, you have a coffee machine outside. It's very easy just to you know just to stay there. But yeah. for me, when you're in that type of role where um, so many departments are you're liaising with and you're working with. It's important to go and visit them in their environment. So if it was the medical, you know, go go down and talk to them when they're working with the players. If it was the chef, go over to them and, you know, after breakfast, you know, spend a few minutes with them having a chat. You know, just I try to do little things, little things like that. And the, and the recruitment guys, you know, don't always everyone come to you. You go to them. It wasn't, a, you know, I didn't want like they come to me, sit across the desk like a, I'm the boss type of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, they know they know that my role is a sporting director. They know my role, so you don't have to keep, you know, reiterating that. You can go to them, talk to them, what's happening, what's going on, get some get some communication. So each day was different. I didn't have like a, a set walk or anything yeah, like no, that. No, I understand, so, I understand yeah, that. but um, so yeah, depended on the day. But I did try to get out and talk to as you know as much as staff as I could. Yeah. I got me thinking because I know you are interested in lots of areas outside of football as well. I don't know the, the specific story, but you hear this story that the CEO of huge companies that they have two times, or they have a coffee in the canteen where everybody was, they had a lunch just to be around everybody and that they would be approachable for everybody. And they don't, they don't, didn't have to go to the office, knock on the door. No, he would be on set times in yeah. the restaurant where everybody would eat. Uh, even though he was the the founder or she or whatever, you hear these kind of stories all the time, which makes it almost natural. Oh no, it's it's a routine to connect with with everybody around you. Yeah, it's it's, it's it's it's. I think we have a duty to do that as well. I think we have a duty to do that when we're in these leadership roles. 
um, especially in elite sport and football, you know, it's a duty to, you know, just to, to people see you to have a connection. You know, they see you, they, they know your role, but they can see you, like you say, having a coffee yeah. in the lunch area. Even at Huddersfield, you know, I didn't have a, even for my lunch, if I went over for lunch, I didn't have a set time. I'd go over, whoever was sitting down, you know, whether it was uh, physios, whether it was academy, the girls team, recruitment, wherever it was. If there was a, you know, I'd sit with anyone and have my lunch and have a conversation. I mean, it wasn't right now. I have to sit next to the manager. I have to sit next to the CEO or the director. Yeah. You know, I, I sit with anyone. And I think, you know, that makes you, because also if you're, if you're expecting for me or I'm expecting them to, you know, do their job to a high level, you know, do their best for the club, you know, then they can see me being relatable to them. You know, I'm doing, I'm doing what they're doing. You know, I'm trying to do the best in my role as well. So if I'm being demanding and they don't see me or they don't do this and I'm not very good, then, you know, they're not, I'm not going to get the best out of, you know, the team. So yeah. Yeah. I also read that, well, the, the identity of the club is a big foundation of how you execute your job or mm. which type of people you recruit or which type of players. Yes. Is it, was it as this, this is all also a way to get to know the identity? Because of course, you can have the presentation of the, yeah. On the board, okay, this is who we are, but you find the identity in, let's say, the well, for example, in the cafeteria when you walk, when you when you're talking to the people that are already working there for 15 years, yeah, you find the true working atmosphere, the true identity, almost. Yeah, very much so. Um, and and when I was at Huddersfield, that was very important because, um, especially when we went to come to recruiting a coach, because in my um, what happened was was I was tasked with. Unfortunately, the coach was um, sort of dismissed quite early on. Yeah. So two three months you were there, you had to appoint a new coach, right? Yeah. So basically, I started in August two thousand and nineteen. Um, I wasn't due to start till a couple of months later because of you know being released from my current role at the time was Ostersunds. Yeah. So. Um, once the results, Huddersfield come down from the Premier League, once the results hadn't sort of going too well, um, the new ownership made the decision um, on prior to my arrival to, to, you know, to change coach because of my role. They wanted me to be a big part in the recruitment process of finding a new coach. So yeah. uh, it was a lot of information to take in at once. So that they managed to, you know, come to a negotiation with Osterson and release from my contract if they had to they paid they paid a little compensation early so i had basically um another minus two months to find a coach yeah (laughs) yeah and the first thing i had to do was you know obviously you have to take so many factors into consideration the most important thing was was actually spend time in the area you know and look at the fans and look at the things and what type of coach had been relatable what worked before um the new environment, the new ownership, there's loads of stuff. And the only way you do that is spending time in the area, spending yeah. time with the people and getting to know that, you know, you want uh, coaches that can connect here. They have to connect straight away because the club's in a situation where they need results. Yeah, there's no time. Yeah. No time. So we need that instant connection. So that was the part of the part of the thinking towards the appointment of the coach. Yeah, interesting. And what were you Looking, what kind of trade are you looking for then in in people? Yeah, so this one, and looking for in you know, someone that's got. Um, we looked at a number of factors in terms. Once we 
like all the footballing stuff and the results. Yeah, sure, sure. So we wanted someone that uh, coaches that had a very good youth background. That was a big part of that. That youth background in terms of they developed youth at their previous clubs because we knew that was going to be our philosophy yeah. going forward. So that was important. Someone also as well that could connect with the outer community. Um, so, and we wanted that to build that connection because Huddersfield was like a, what we call like a working class area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, coaches that have had that, that don't mind doing that work of going out into the community, maybe it to be to schools, to hospitals, or, yeah. you know, sometimes building that connection that was comfortable with that um, as well as all the football stuff. So that was another big way of our thinking because we thought if we can get that connection outside and bring it inside, then obviously that's going to help. You know, it's going to help us in our current situation. Yeah, and no, it could also help, let's say, in the short run where everybody, when the when the sentiment is negative, and yes. even though the results could even stay the same, but at, at least the people see that, or the fans see that that there's connection with with the environment, and that there's a new, let's say, new type of leadership. That's that's yeah. a strategical choice probably there as well. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Definitely. Okay, and is it something that you this even this was a specific Huddersfield situation? But do you think in any case or in any club that this is an important trait that you that you that you realize in what kind of environment you are? I think it's one of the key traits, um, um, and it's always and it's always worked in the environments I've been in. You know, I've always tried to implement this or take this or um, if I wasn't been able to influence it, then it's already in place. I think it's one of the key things that, especially, uh, I think it's just, I worked on a very simple analogy of, you know, understanding, especially if you're going to bring someone into your environment, understanding where they've come from, understand what you're bringing them into. Um, and that, and that, and that's players first and foremost, obviously, because they had a heartbeat at the club, but also, yeah, sure. also staff, the team behind the team as well as very important um, and i think that's just a you know for me that's just a given yeah. any advice how how coaches should connect with that i did because okay in, in youth football okay you you start with probably your local club that you've played and there's a connection already there but maybe if you're ambitious you go to that next big club 10, yeah. 10 15 miles away or 15 kilometers away yeah then that that's the first step as a coach that you have any advice how you should connect with that environment? How would you, how would you suggest a coach step into a new environment? I think for in anyone, especially a young coach, if you can enter that phases of their journey, then it's to understand the environment they're going into, is to research as much as they can. Okay. Whether whether they're going into a youth coaching role, a first team role, a local role, it doesn't matter. Treat every role the same. Yeah. Give it the same respect as you're going to go in, because then that that will breed habits for when you go on further and you go higher. If you can get the good habits in early of your preparation and getting to know as much as you can about the environment or maybe some of the staff or the local area, some of the culture, some of the traits. If you get to know that and get a good understanding of that early, then it becomes habitual yeah. when you go when you go higher. Interesting. Is that something that you've done or that you found out early on that you've done straight away? 
Yeah, I, I, I kind of just, when I was younger, I kind of just, my first role was... You are kind of a natural searcher because you yeah. search around the club, but you also search for players. It's it's, it's a trade yeah. of you, I think. Yeah, I think so. And um, it was just, I remember my second coaching role was at Crystal Palace Academy back in 2003. And um, because I lived in that area, I was quite, you know, I, I knew the local area, the local club. But when I noticed when I went into the academy that, the way they was recruiting young players, they had a lot of areas where you could get a lot of natural talent. We call the street kids. You yeah. know, it's probably very big now. Um, but back in then, it wasn't so big. The way they recruited was the young talent from the best. They just only looked at the best teams. So the best teams playing locally, yeah. best player in that best team. They thought we must be the best. So we bring them into, you know, a professional environment. Where, well, my thinking was, well, you know, this is, you know, I didn't have a, you know, a very, uh, I had a good upbringing, but it wasn't, you know, f from the areas I, I lived in, I knew that there, you know, that there's, there's, there was a loads of sort of street kids and yeah. talent that, you know, probably wasn't playing in these local best teams, wasn't wasn't in these environments. So um, even when I was academy coach and I started to look, even on my time off, um, you know, I was only part-time coach, but I tried to treat it like a, as a full-time role and I used to try and go out and find local talent um in different areas and you know we did we managed to get some good players from that like um, zaha come, yeah. come from that setting there's other players that have come from that setting and it kind of and it kind of opened the door you know a little bit now to the to the thinking i think where you know because i understood the local environment and local areas and local culture that i was able to use that knowledge to help help me help the club help the players so that that kind of got my way of thinking in each new club I go into, whether it be a different part of the country, whether it be in a different a different country, yeah. to try and get as much information as I can when I go in there. So I'm not going in, you know, my, my first thing was not going in cold. I don't know nothing what I'm going into, because then you're you're immediately under pressure straight away because yeah. you're you're thinking, oh, I don't know this, I don't know this, I should have done this. Just just spend a little time, you know, that's your career, that's your job. Yeah, interesting. I'm researching. Yeah, I think you're completely right. So even if you take that 15 mile step from club A to club B, there's still a lot of differences in history of the club or people oh, that work there yeah. or type of clubs, playing style. There's so much you can already dig up before you before you even sign. Yeah, but yeah. after you're signed, you can still do the work. Yeah, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. That 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 prior knowledge before you go in gives you the, the first couple of steps to yeah. understand it. And once you're living it and breathing it every day, then then you you know you will pick up lots more. As long as you keep an open mind to it, as long as you think, right, okay, I'm just here to do my job and then go home, then you know you can't expect too much. No. If you have an open mind and you want to, you know, meet people, chat to people, learn more about what, what you're doing, increase your own knowledge, increase other people's knowledge, then you know you've got more chance of being successful. Yeah. And also here, okay, you've been, you, you were at Crystal Palace where you kind of started and then you, okay, this is the way they do it, but I'm going to look at out of the box. I'm going to look in areas that they didn't explore. Yeah. It's interesting because you also take a risk because if you find that, well, in this case you found Saha, but you also realize, okay, if I found, find this street kid, he can be the best dribbler ever, but he's going to have troubles to fit into a team. And yeah. he's, he never played according any team rules or yeah. he's not, a, he's not used to listening to a coach. So it, this process is going to take 
lot more energy and probably a lot more time as well. Yeah. And, and that's where you have to, I think, as a club, realise that if you do get the young talent early <laughs> and they're in a, especially in an academy environment, uh, Wilf, Wilfred was um, 10 at the time. So yeah. Still pretty moldable, but okay, there, there was a rough diamond there probably. Yeah, and he's got loads of time to, to learn and you don't want to coach it out of him too early. Nope. You know, you I don't completely to, agree, yeah. Yeah, you want him to understand maybe some more, give him a more understanding, but still let him, you know, still let him do what he's good at. That's that's what got him there in the first place. You, you encourage him to take risks and be brave and dribble past players and do all that stuff, even if it's not sometimes. And I found that when it was younger, a lot of a lot of younger coaches were more about the team shape and the structure yeah. and stuff. And 10, 11-year-olds, you know, they don't really understand that. Um, what they want is, you know, that they want to express their self. So you give them a, you give them a basic platform to work from. So you're developing them, their skills, their, their understanding, but you're also not taking away what their, you know, their best talents are. Yeah. Have you been in the position that, well, you found a talented player, doesn't even matter how old they are, could even be an adult, adult player. You find him, he has these specific traits. He has this, outstanding player in his own environment, maybe different culture where they are much more creative mm. and they, you put, you, you add them to the, to the club or to the team. And then he's almost flattened out by the tactics of the coach and, and they come to you. So why is he not performing? But, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I have, I have had that. And I think when I look at that, I look at it in, in a way that it's, um, it's not so much the player, maybe it's the coach's understanding of the person. Yeah. Um, and again, if even at youth level or professional level, I still think there should be a connection, even if it's a young player under 11, under 12, under 13. If you knew what kind of area he come from as a roughly, maybe the type of school he goes to, yeah. you know, if he, if he has a different uh, cultural religion, when you've got them basics understands, then you can under, get to understand that, okay, he might need more time to develop or he or she might need more time to, you know, to, to understand this situation. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to impose things just because I want him to fit in a certain way. I want to win all the games. It makes me look good. I can get, I can move up the age groups. I can get a better job. That's, if you've got that intention, you're probably, it's, it's never really going to work long-term for you. Oh. You're going to find that, you know, find that doesn't work. If you invest in time in that particular talent um, early on, and it might take, there's no, there's no set time, is it? it? Might take two months, might take three months, might take a year. Could could happen in two weeks. But I think you've got to be open to the mind that okay, this is going to take some time. Yeah. How much time I don't know, but it's going to take some time. Yeah, yeah, and everybody should be allowed to have that time, coach and player. Absolutely. So, yeah. Absolutely, both it works both ways for the players and the coaches. If um, you know, if you're looking, if I look at my role as a sporting director, if I'm going to look to bring in a, a coach, um, and you know, this is the way we want to work for our structure, I'm not going to say right. I want instant results straight away. It's um, you would like, allow that coach maybe some time to develop yeah. a, a good amount of time. What that time is, there's no set time. But yeah, I can I can understand. If, if you if you give him if you give um, give the coach that time, 
and you've got that connection and that understanding, then the more chance you've got of, you know, him being allowed to, to develop what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's in any situation because we were talking about Manchester United situation before we started this, we can go into there also the background of coaches there, but yeah, this is also in your local team. If you are the new U17 coach and you feel the pressure of, of the technical director or whatever head of youth that you need to perform and you need to perform now, you're going to yeah. act differently towards your players, which makes, well, yeah, well, you, you can all fill in the blanks. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah. That's, that's, it's a different situation than, than you realize I have actually, I heard we'll go back to Manchester United after that because I'm thinking about, about this right now that at AZ Alkmaar, I heard they give a coach a full-time contract straight away even though if you're in foundation phase or whatever, and you get at least two years to um, to adjust to yes. the way of working. And after two years, they're going to properly evaluate you and, okay, see if the potential is still there. So from day one, you know you have, let's say, 730 days to start fitting in, yes. which is a reasonable amount of time, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then, then the judgment comes. Okay, this is a performance situation still. Yeah. But that I I found that very refreshing because you don't hear it too often, and it was no. also very. I don't know if it's true in detail, but the concept I liked, uh, and it's very clear. I have I have two years to adapt, to get it my to make it my own, and then from there on, I need to perform. Yeah. And that's a very good way of working, especially in the youth systems, um, because. Yeah. It also, it, it, for me, it's, it's clarity. So the, so the coach knows, right, okay, I uh, have this time to work. And, you know, it's uh, it might seem like a long period of time, two years, but it can go so quickly. So yeah. I maximize this as much as I can. And then from the club's point of view, um, at the end of it, if it works and it's, and it's, and it's worked, great. You know, it's, that's fantastic. That's what you want. But sometimes if it doesn't work, then... I think always from the club's perspective, we can say, well, you know, we did give you that time. Yeah. Um, you know, we've been more than fair and it hasn't worked. And and I think there's a good understanding from both parties. Then. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought, I, I thought it as well. There was a guy, one of the new coaches there who, who told me the insights, but also that you, there you're giving you a full-time contract straight away, mm. which especially for young coaches is a big step because a lot of them are fighting for that, that full-time spot. Yes. I read about you that there was also one of your highlights to be full-time in football. It was almost a goal. Yes. Uh, which also means that if you're not full-time, you have to squeeze in your schedule, make some money here and there, maybe uh, do an extra club. So there's different kind of focus. Yeah. Um, and and sometimes, even though it's hard, sometimes it's quite exciting because um, even when I was part-time coaching at Crystal Palace and Tottenham in my early parts of my career, you know, had a little bit more increased responsibility, but it still wasn't enough to to pay the bills. Yeah. Um, so you had to do other jobs. And it was trying to find other jobs to keep my focus in hand. That, okay, football is my long-term goal. So the jobs that I'm going to do now are, it was kind of weird. It was kind of, they had to fit in around the football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just see the jobs of a way of earning money, paying the bills, doing this sort of thing. Yeah. And, and And that was it. And yeah. that was it. And I just kept the focus that way, knowing I'm going to go full time in football. Whatever I'm doing now will just be a means to an end. 
Yeah, it was it was an investment in in your later career. Yeah, and that's how you have to see it. It's an investment in yourself. So the job you're doing to support your career, and again, this comes back to the family piece as well, where um, at the time, if you've got that support around you to allow yeah. you to do that, you know, the, these are the little things that you know will, will hold a long way when you go when you go up. Yeah. The higher you go up, the more you value these because it's always important to know, you know, where you was at the start of your journey. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I already touched up on it a little bit on on uh, on Manchester United and Ragnik, uh, who's now the head coach there, and his background uh, that you found interesting. And what would be the ideal? Well, what would be ideal path for for a coach to go towards? Would you be a former player? Should you be more from a manager's role to a coaching role, or should you be a coach? Interesting discussion. So, what was your ideas on on this? Yeah, very interesting. Um, really interesting. If we, you know, with someone like Ralph, he's, you know, his background was he started off with coaching and went into sort of management, becoming yeah. a head coach focal point. Um, And then when he entered the sport and director phase, his 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 whole background was was coach and development, and he had a set a set way of working and a style. You know, he wanted this style. So his background was was pure coaching, um, coming into a sport and director role, which is again, which is you know having an understanding of that top level of how a coach works, how development works, working with young players, yeah. all very very massive important key roles. Um, and then you can look at maybe another sporting director's background might come in from recruitment. Um, like myself. Yeah, like myself, who's been uh, you know, head of recruitment and, you know, understand the markets, understanding, you know, where the players are, understanding that you could, for me, I could go to, to most clubs and adapt quite quickly. Yeah. So I, I, it's, it's an interesting one, and I think it all depends on the club. I think it all depends on the club. I, I wouldn't say there's one there's one shoe that fits all, one size that fits all. I think it, it all depends on the club's needs and objectives. Yeah, but what I do hear, and also about your story, is that, and I, not only you, but as a coach, or you need to broader your perspective. So Absolutely. if you only think on think about the players on the pitch. There's so much more out there in football or even yeah. outside of football that is going to help you in this environment. And whether it is business life, we had uh, Andro Fistunic from Croatia. He was a deputy manager of the academy there and he was getting all types of processes from IT that would help him in football where he was talking to CEOs. Okay, how do you lead? And I think... I think that's kind of there. There's different paths that lead you to being uh, a manager or a head coach or whatever. But you, you, if you only focus on one thing, you're you're missing out too much. I think so. Uh, I, I think so. Especially in these roles of a head coach or a sport a sporting director, I think one of the key ingredients you have is is the way you are with people. Um, how you are with people is good. Really good to have a good knowledge of your field, whether it be intimate coaching, high level recruitment yeah. and all these stuff. But if your communication and your people skills are not at the, at the foremost of what you do, then, you know, you could have, you could have the best tactical knowledge in the world. If you can't convey that to your players, yeah. then, you know, it's, it, it doesn't matter how good you are. 
the same in other areas. So I think those those are the key ones. And the more the more we all learn, um, like of different businesses, of different companies, different cultures, different sports, different people, it, it's like being an ideas thief. You know, we take the ideas from other yeah. people and we see if we can use that in our own environment. We see something and think, oh, you can see something from chess, you can see something from your business, your IT, from a mathematician, anything. You think, okay, I can use that. I can yeah. use that. I can use that. So, yeah, if you're, if you're a good idea thief, it, it definitely helps as well. What's, what's the last idea that you stole? Um, I, I read the last idea I stole was... Um, I would say was probably something that I read from a from a book about chess. Okay. And it was, and it was, about, and it was about strategy, um, about playing uh, over a long period of time and having multiple outcomes. Okay. So if you, uh, when I was looking at chess, he looked at it as almost well. like scenario thinking. Is, that, is yeah. that kind of what it is? Yeah, multiple scenarios. So it's um, they always say that the chess player thinks. X amount of moves ahead. Yeah. So it was having that strategy to think, okay, we want to win this game, but these are going to be all the scenarios that you could yeah. face during these phases. And I thought that's a really interesting way of looking at it, especially in a fast-paced game like football. You know that you want ultimately you want to win, but this is these are all the strategies and stuff yeah. you have to face during the game. So again, then that got me thinking of you know giving the players that information, giving the staff that information to think, okay, sometimes when you look at, when you're looking to analyze a game or you're looking to analyze a situation that, you know, try and take into account that the possible scenarios you could face. So it's not a surprise to you. It's not a shock. Yeah. I have some, you know, played a long game. You yeah. are, you know, if you're confident you're going to win, but these are the problems you might face, but you eventually you can still win if you understand the strategy and the scenarios. Yeah. From a coaching perspective, it's 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 very clear. Okay, if we attack in this way, then probably this will happen. But one thing, while you're saying it, from your recruitment perspective, it's also interesting. If I get this player, what does it do with my backup player that's already here, or what does it do oh, with, yeah. with maybe a young player that cannot come to the first team, or how it's going to affect everything in the long? What's going to do with the atmosphere? So there's also a connection there. I think always, yeah, always a strategic. And I think. <laughs> If you've got that in your football club, it is to be you want to bring some homegrown talent, which which you should. If you've got that facility to bring top top players through, then you should definitely utilize that. But also, um, you know, if you've got an agreement where we want to try and at least bring one or two players into our first team each year, and we and then maybe we want to loan these sort of players out, so it can affect your recruitment process oh. to say, right, okay. We think we have a top talent. We don't want to block his pathway. So we maybe we need this type of player to serve us to here. And, you know, long-term, we're looking to bring this player through. And so immediately, sometimes we take the emotion out of it and think, right, we, all of a sudden we don't, we, we change our perspective on recruitment and think, right, okay, this is for a long-term strategy. We want still to get the best out of immediate results, but we've also got an eye on, you know, the, The potential coming through as well yeah and then that probably connects to what identity that you are working for at that point okay what does this club stand for or what's most yeah. important yeah yeah for sure absolutely and it, it just helps it just helps and it, like we say it goes back to what we was talking about about understanding your club 
Yeah. You understand this is a strategy and the research and this is how we're going to work. Then again, you would have a, you're not going to be too shocked of how to work in that environment. Yeah. Yeah. You've already done yourself. Yeah. It's easy, easy to think about that because if you know your environment, you know, you're going to be in that meeting room with everybody there and you will say, okay, I want to have this player. But David, we are a club that brings on youth. You can prevent those discussions if you know no. where you are. Yeah, exactly. I, I know this before I come in. So, you know, this is, I, I have no real argument to that. You know, yeah. unless, unless the strategy changes, then that's completely different. But I can't personally change the strategy myself oh. if, if that's what we all agreed at the start of the journey. And if it works the other way around as well, if, they, if, you, if you can show them that you understand the atmosphere, no. I want to have my faith installed in this young guy because we are this club. You yeah. automatically feel the support of the room, probably. Yeah. And they, they, they know that you understand where you are. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. Very interesting. Okay. Um, well, you've been, well, like I'm going to say it again, but a lot of big clubs, you worked with a lot of big managers. Um, were there any specific moments or coaches that, that influenced you in your way of thinking in this industry or in, in football? Yeah. Um, been lucky enough to work in some really good environments, as you say, with some good, yeah. with some good staff and especially good managers and head coaches. So probably the two that stand out the most, um, would be sort of Eddie Howe yeah. and Pochettino. Um, both outstanding coaches, both, you know, successful in their own individual rights, but, it was the. It, I think when I looked at the, the type of if I was ever going to go into a head coach's role, uh, the way that the way they worked with players was always interesting. They they always looked more like teachers, like they're, they're teaching their their players. It wasn't like an instruction. Do this. Yeah. It was like a, a, a way of teaching. So they expected the high demands. They expected you know the hard work. They expected all the stuff you should have. But it was the way they the connection they built. Um, with their first and foremost with their players yeah. um, so the players that allowed the players then to buy into them yeah. and they got a slightly different styles in terms of what they want to play but but also how they was around the club with, with other members of staff which we spoke about earlier so how they was with the cleaner the chef yeah. the receptionist and how they were it was just a nice they had a nice way about them so Yes, as coaches, outstanding, excellent, top class, but also their manners of how they got everything, their messages across and how they were with people. That's, I would say they were two good influences on, you know, the way that I like to operate myself. Yeah. So I hear that they are, is my assumption on it, that they didn't say what to do, but they learned how you could do it or how they thought you should do it yeah and and it was sometimes it was always it was a lot of it was sort of clever psychology so yeah. um you know players you know i remember when players would they would say well how do i get better you know and they would they would never give them the the, the total answer but if you do this, this 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 and this and this then you should be it was okay well, we'll give you some we'll open some doors we'll give you some tools yeah but you have to walk through it and then they would want to see how the player responds see how much he wants to do it so it was just a it was a clever way of keeping people fresh motivated um confident but also you know still delivering high quality coaching but doing it in a way where all the answers were there because football 
like you say, when if it's in a big crowd and a big game, how much are they going to hear of the coaches? So, yeah. so them they wanted you know to put the emphasis on the players. But you have to think for yourself when you're in this scenario. I'm not on a pitch with you, so you have to think of this. Yeah. Did did these well these guys? If I can hear, it, they inspired you in this way of working. Did you? Did, did it change you you in the field as well, or in the in that role as well? Yeah, it did actually because it, again, it sort of. I, I, that was the way that I like to work, um, yeah. but I'd never seen it at that level. Yeah. yeah. So seeing you were it, more used to demanding guys that were like the manager; they were ruling the setting yeah, yeah, instead yeah. Of, of, of 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 incorporating everybody. Yeah, and sometimes there is a need where you have to be a little bit tough and you have to have high demands. Yeah. Sure. But the the way they were um, as people, they found a way of getting the best out of people without without doing that. And it was also the detail in their work. They were very, you know, very clear. And also having, you know, having uh, the evidence to back it up. So if they was going to leave a player out from a team, then they would have, they would bring the way to bring the player in, explain to him why, maybe have some stat stuff on the screen and say, this is where you are in training and where you are. So you, you might not play for a couple of weeks, but I need you to get back up to that. And I think even though sometimes the players might not necessarily like it, they respect it yeah. because they can't argue. Yeah. It's, not, it's not done on emotion. It's not saying you're not playing because you didn't play well last game. Yeah. As, as you understand the players, the players, the first question they're going to ask is why? Then you go, well, this is the evidence. This is where you are. This is where we've been seeing. Yeah. Um, you know, And then try and get, get some understanding with that. And then the players can't argue. So then it's on the player to respond. Yeah. Okay. I want to get back in the team. I know how to get back in the team. I've seen where I am. I know where I can be. This is what I'm going to go and do. Yeah. Yeah. So clarity, that's that's the main factor in that. Yeah. Yeah. Just just very simple, nothing, very simple, good understanding of people, very clear clarity, um, you know, demanding of the high levels, but it was that clarity and that communication and the way they, the way they dealt with, um, you know, players and staff around them. That was that was the key at that level. So it's content or knowledge, yes. But again, the connection, the way you communicate is is absolutely equally important. Uh, absolutely, and they're both different characters. Where Pochettino is, obviously, he had that Latin fire where he liked to, you know, he liked the human contact. He would often yeah. give you a high five, a hug, you know, a cuddle, you know, this sort of stuff. Where Eddie was more, um, Eddie is more like a, you know, more like a talker. You know, he sit you down, he has a nice calm voice, he'd rather talk to you. Yeah. We're both different people, but both had, but their styles were really good to watch. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, I can imagine that it can inspire you as well. Okay, you have this gut feeling about the decision of a player. Yes. But then at one point you realize, okay, if I have to win this discussion or I have to convince somebody, you can think of the way they did they did that in daily decisions. Then you can yeah. help. It could help you in your sporting director's role at any point in any yeah. role. But yeah, absolutely, uh, it can help you for sure as well. Absolutely, all all good learning. All yeah. good learning. Great, great. Okay, yeah. Well, you are a learner. That's what you said. I also read it about you. Every drive you you put on a podcast. No, I'm not. I'm not. A, I don't know if you do it every drive, but you you try to take your time or use your time as efficient as possible. Yes, yeah, I do, and that's a, you know driving sometimes. Um, 
especially when I was recruiting when I was younger, there wasn't the podcasts have become <laughs> more relevant maybe over the last two, three years. But I always yeah. tried to listen and learn, and especially now with the you know the ver- with the variety of podcasts out there and the, the knowledge which is out there. When you're on a journey and you have to travel a period of time why not listen to it why not yeah. try, you know why not try and learn something or find something that's interesting to pass your time um, and the specifics that you are looking into now you're always curious about new things that's what we heard earlier yeah, yeah. so there's yeah. probably something there yeah so um a lot of the stuff i was read uh, i was listening to was um the high performance podcast yeah yeah Yep. Is, um, I'm trying to compete with them in the numbers of listeners, but I'm not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> I heard that they just became the best listened podcast in England or something. They're huge. That well, I, I listen yeah. to them as well. It's inspiring. Yeah, but it's, it's interesting how they started because they started off, you know, where they started during the pandemic, where it's um, it take it took time to build. You know, they're in their third yeah. year now, so success to them. The reason why I like that one so much is because of the different guests they have on. it's not always um it's not always football which is good there's not much football to be fair there's different sports different businesses different backgrounds you know you get to you get to listen to a type of different people and i think that's the that's what keeps my interest going if it was just people all the time then it becomes the same thing yeah yeah can imagine okay so and are you a reader do you have time to read yeah i i love reading um i love reading so um I still go through this motion of I try and read if if my day is quite busy, um, I try and at least read between ten and pa- twenty pages a night just yeah. to help my brain. Let's say a book a month. Yeah, a book a month. Yeah, a book yeah. a month. I would try and read more, but obviously we have to we have to live, we have to work. So, yeah. Um, yeah. What's the book that you're reading now? So the book that I've read now was um, it was kind of of a guy called. Dr. Steve Peters, he done like the chimp paradox, but he's got okay. a, a new book called Path Through the Jungle. Okay. It's um it's about understanding sort of your mind and how it works and they call it like the chimp, and then they call it the human part of your brain. But it's, ah, yeah, yeah, I noticed. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but he's got a second book out, so it's very heavy. So it's taking me okay. a, a little bit a little bit it's, longer. It's not it's not an evening book. You should do it in the morning when you have your cup of tea or and, yeah. uh, when you're focused probably. Exactly. So that's not the one. But for my evening book I've got one called The Immortals, um Arigo yeah. Saki. Yeah. I, I mean he had that great Milan side. So you're he, not uh, the first one that's mentioning this this book. No, it's, it, we, it's we had several coaches already talking about this. Yeah, I, I liked again, I suppose I liked where he's come from as well what yeah. he's done um you know he worked his way up for all the lower leagues and yeah that's uh so that was my my book before that i finished a book called bill walsh he was an american football coach called okay. the score take care of himself then yeah. there was another one called uh, mench which yeah. was um i think it's m-e-n-c-h where ah, the, german was, way. the german one yeah that was a that was a good one Another one called called the Edge, which again comes from you know different looking at football mainly, but different sports, different backgrounds, different cultures. So yeah, I just find I just find knowledge fascinating. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I can imagine that. Well, especially now you have some extra time. Yes. Yeah. That's that's the good thing. So I can still <laughs> I still like to go and watch games. I still like to get out. Obviously, when I can, we go and meet people, but. 
yeah, I try and put some time during the day to, you know, definitely get some reading in because it makes me feel, you know, when you're reading something new, something knowledge, you can always add it to, I have a little portfolio. I can, I add it into my different sections. I listen to something that goes into that section. So when I go through the notes on my phone, I can just look and reference it. Ah, okay. Okay. So you keep like a, like a, like a knowledge diary on your phone where you put your notes. And I have it in different sections, so because <clears throat> the same, so I don't have to scroll through loads. So I, might, I break it down into different sections to what what I'm looking at. Okay, great. Well, I I, I tried to, try to write things down again to go offline, yeah. and I read down yesterday. Actually, I should start reading again. But uh, yeah, book a book a month is is it should be relatively easy if you have a book of three hundred pages, ten pages a day. Yeah, that's yeah. my new uh, new uh, goal for 2022. Again, again. <laughs> by the end of the year, you'll be 12 books more knowledgeable. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I said it before. I listened to a lot of books, and then yes. at one point I said I should read more. But then I know it was April, and I already went through three or four books while I was walking or on in the car. So yeah, that's also a way. That's that's the advantage of these technologies yeah. as well. And sometimes with a podcast, I think I'll try and listen to a podcast where I think, um, you know, if I'm going to do a stop. So if I'm listening to this high performance podcast, for example, and I hear something, obviously I can't do anything. I'm driving. So <laughs> I think, right, okay, I need to go over to a garage and maybe get <laughs> make some notes or something. Yeah. 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 I, that, I, that's why I read, I hear, listen to books. Now I'm listening to a book for the second time because I probably missed. While I was uh, running or walking, uh, whatever I missed something yeah. because tra- because of traffic. So you, you always hear new things. Yeah, interesting. Of course, yeah, yeah, great. Okay, well, we've already been going on for an hour. Um, I like I like your journey. That's also the reason why I've asked you. So because you've been through all these different types of work in 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 football, and you're kind of combining it now in the end in like a director's role where all that knowledge comes together. Yeah. Uh, and then there's these, all these different types of environments and clubs and, and cultures that you've been experiencing as well, which, yeah, which almost seems like the natural fit to be, to be a sporting director. That's, uh, yeah. that's, and I, I hear that in your, well, in this podcast, we hear this as well. You, you, you know something about almost everything in football. That's, that's, a, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I try and I, I try and specialize in maybe two, two or three, and then have a a good understanding of the others around it. So for me, it's impossible to be a master of all of them. Um, it's impossible, but to have a maybe a stronger knowledge on some, and then have a good understanding on others, and try to increase the ones that maybe uh, that need some work. I think that gives especially when you look to go to these performance type roles, like a sport director, yeah. the more knowledge you have, the better it is for you to do. Yeah. 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 And relates to me personally as well, because if I have been in high performance coaching as well, and if I narrow down the area too much, my, my mind is going to look for different things unconsciously. So they're going to break the walls. I, I want new extra information, not yeah. only tactics or football. Yes. I need to know other stuff as well. Yeah. That, but that, that's why I'm also jealous of guys that don't have that, that they can t- pick one thing and put all their focus on one thing. And I have to, well, I've learned to know myself and maybe you have a little bit of the same. For me, it doesn't work. I need to have other things around me as well. 
yeah and, and i think if you're if you're of that mindset um where you're where you're thirsty for knowledge you're thirsty to you know to be better and increase in better yourself and increase that I think, like especially in performance, these type of brains they never switch off. It's always, always hungry for more. So right. it's very hard, even sometimes, to even sleep because you go to bed and you've got all these ideas and all this stuff racing around right. your head all the time. And it's uh, as well as it can be exciting. Sometimes it can be tiring. But, yeah, well, that's also recognizable. Also for yeah. my wife, but it's a different yeah. story. Okay, well, it's been great to talk to you, uh, David. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate Who should it. we talk to next? That's uh, my last question. Yeah, there's a um, there's a really good guy, um, guy called Liam Bramley. He okay. uh, worked with Aston Villa, and yeah. he worked the for the under twenty threes as a performance like coach, okay. and he sort of leads that phase. Um, Aston Villa is an exciting club at the minute. Yeah, sure. Um, and he's someone that's. Um, you know, he's a little bit different in his coaching in the ways his journey and he has, you know, he's learning. He's probably a little bit similar to mine where he's very open-minded on certain yeah. things. So yeah, he would be, um, he'd be definitely a good guy to have on. Well, let's see if we can uh, get him on uh, in the upcoming time. Sounds, sounds very interesting in different approach. I like the, the maybe the little bit of the outliers of the, of the industry. Let's call him like that. Yeah, no, he has, he has got that and it's, you know he's um he's got good and again we're talking about the word values and environment so that's another thing which is good in his coaching repertoire he great. understands those those elements really well great great okay well great we'll uh, we'll look up we'll look forward to talking to him as well i want to thank you again uh, david thank you for your time and thank you for no this problem. interesting uh, for your interesting journey and i hope it continues uh, at a nice club uh, soon Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.